Hello and welcome to the Philosophy. Today I am with my good friend Helmut Hiseki, who is uh, from Vienna, and uh, we're going to have this episode in English. Although his mother tongue is, of course, German, he speaks of course excellent English, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. We both know each other through the Joshua uh, boot camp, the uh, teachings of Joshua. And actually, when I joined, he was uh, signed to me as a coach. And uh, I've had good contact with him in the short time that we've known each other. And I feel like we're on a mutual trip here of using these teachings and figuring out how to um, bring it about in daily life. And uh, yeah, so I could start there, uh, maybe Helmut, if we could just talk first about maybe how you came to these teachings and a little bit about your background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So first of all, thanks for having me. It's, it's really nice to have this, this, this interview or this conversation rather in English this time, because otherwise we're rather talking in German. So um, yeah, I've actually started out with Joshua a couple of years ago. I think it was one of the first ones who listened to this Joshua stuff and Gary's podcast right from the beginning. Um, I certainly know that he started out on LOA Talk Radio, where he had his first episodes, and then I sort of got hooked to it, rather. Um, I have to say, however, that this um, sort of spiritual stuff has actually been with me all my life, since I can remember. Probably, or rather, certainly, because my parents were quite open-minded when it uh, came to all those things. So my parents taught me quite early all about yoga, about other spiritual things. So they were quite open-minded for basically everything from astrology, numerology, to yoga and other kinds of spirituality. So it's actually been with me all of my life, part of my life. And uh, well, then some 10 years or so ago, rather almost exactly 10 years ago, I founded my own company. And I think one of the, one of the issues for me was, as it is for all people basically, how to attract money using the law of attraction. I think this is where, where basically 90% of people who are working with LOA or who come in contact with LOA get started more or less. And um, that was actually the start of a very intensive journey. Um, I've not yet manifested the million dollars or the million euros on my bank account, but I'm still working on it. So well, let's wait and see what the, the new year is going to bring. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because uh, you, uh, obviously speaking German, uh, you're, how did you find, I mean, were you attracted to English speaking sites or uh, did you find it that this information was only in the English speaking realm and that in the German uh, podcast or I don't know the other mm -hmm. avenues mm -hmm. there was just not enough information for you? It's a very interesting, interesting question actually because for quite some time I've been thinking about the differences between let's say the the spiritual scene in the US and in, in Britain, basically in the US on the one hand, and in Germany on the other hand, which I'm following quite closely. Germany, of course, also including Switzerland and Austria, so the German-speaking countries, basically. Now I had the impression that, uh, for instance, law of attraction as a household word is, is basically a household word in the United States, where it's used quite regularly, and if you say LOA or law of attraction, everybody basically knows what you're talking about. Um, at least since The Secret has been published and the, 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 the movie has been around. While if you look at the scene in Germany, for instance, I have the impression that they are, of course, also very interested in spiritual stuff. 
because I mean they have this philosoph philosophical tradition in Germany, just as they have in let's say France, Britain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it seems to me that their spectrum is quite larger. So if you talk to a German who is interested in spiritual stuff, it's about the law of attraction, but it's also about uh, universal laws in general. It's also about uh, various methods like numerology, astrology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's not so much focused on attraction, basically attraction of money, as uh, the, the, the Americans are, at, at least uh, that's my impression. Um, but the Germans are rather into trying to understand how the universe works, how the cosmos works, how everything comes together and those kinds of things. Uh, on the other hand, I have the impression that one of the basic differences, for instance, between German and Austria is that of course, the, the, I would say the spiritual scene in, in Germany is much larger, but also more vibrant. Um, and um, I have the impression that Austrians are more, I would say, close to nature. I mean, this is something that Germans usually associate with Austria. Yeah, it's all the beautiful scenery, the mountains, etc., etc. And I have the impression that, that in comparison to Germans, Austrians are more grounded, are more yeah, closer to nature, as I just said, and have a much stronger connection to nature and are not so much with the head in the clouds like the Germans, basically. With all the positive and negative aspects, the one and the other thing have, of course. I mean, you guys are very high up there, so in a sense, you are more in the clouds because <laughs> of the mountains. Uh, and Physically, the, yes. <laughs> the Austrians I've met, it's definitely, there's a, a bit of a different vibe, a bit more, mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. Uh, I would like to use a, a little bit cooler in some ways, just uh, mm -hmm. a bit more relaxed German style. This Absolutely. is a very big generalization. It's just my impression. As far as uh, the, how one finds these teachings and, and the laws of the universe, uh, and that you, you, as you said, a lot of Americans through trying to attain maybe material wealth, they get at first uh, interest in the subject of attraction, law of attraction, and then uh, either they stay there or go on. And why you're saying like Germans maybe more their uh, connection with nature, the the philosophical background, which mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. is something I studied, uh, German philosophy, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I know it's a very deep tradition of very deep thought, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and this is a very um, it's just two ways of coming to the same conclusions often, and in a sense, absolutely, yeah. how well you can explain what the laws of the universe are is not as perhaps as important as how well you use them and uh, integrated in your life you don't have to actually completely mm -hmm. you don't we will never understand what's really going on you can just see patterns and, mm -hmm. and i see enough patterns to give throw my hands and say all my teachings and philosophy uh, about nature mm -hmm. of reality they just touch in the iceberg you know it's it's mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. there's something very i would say the ones that if i were going to i don't know if you're familiar with Love philosophy, but um, you know the, the those like Hegel. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with Hegel's, uh, I've read. I've, I've started to read a book by Hegel. I, I, what I a coincidence! Made, I made something like forty-five pages, so did not understand a single a single thought that he yes. sort of threw out there. So I gave up on Hegel quite fast, actually. <laughs> I think it's a bad example. Maybe I'll say just more transcendental of uh, philosophers like Schopenhauer, for instance. He was very much influenced by. Indian thought, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, he integrated that quite nicely, but with the German taste of criticism, I guess criticism can be a positive thing, like it has to be rational to some degree, 
Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And this is a very big requirement for a lot of German uh, thinkers is they have Absolutely. to be able to, and Kant is the pinnacle of that. Absolutely. There is this one of my favorite anecdotes, um, which, if you remember it correctly, is from um, a, an American general who was the supreme commander of NATO in, in, in Europe, and um, he was actually in, in charge of NATO um, or yeah, of NATO forces during the Kosovo campaign in 1999. General Wesley Clark. Oh, and he, in the, in the, he writes in his memoirs about this, this uh, operations and the war that was going on. And interestingly, his second in command at the time was a German general staff officer. And so they came up with all sorts of uh, challenges that they had to, to overcome and, and plans and decisions they had to make, etc., etc. Also, of course, connecting with the political sphere on the one hand, the military forces on the other hand. And one day they were sitting together working out some, some specific problem. And in the end, Wesley Clark came up with an idea and said, well, I think this is going, going to work practically and uh, had the impression that his German second in command was not really at ease with the solution they had found and said, uh, what's, what's wrong with that? And this German general said, well, you know, we're really convinced this works practically. The big question is for me, does it work theoretically as well? <laughs> ah, yeah, that, that's a very uh, interesting leeway into, uh, how do you say, the idea of, you want to live a happy life? Well, if you're Kant, for example, and I, his ethics, mm -hmm. I studied a lot for, mm -hmm. and that's probably no coincidence, but um, you know, you have to earn it. So if you just became happy without actually working for the happiness in a certain kind of moral sense as well, that mm -hmm. you are a good person, you do good deeds, yep. you follow mm -hmm. moral codes, mm -hmm. you didn't deserve that happiness. So it's not something you should mm -hmm. be enjoying. Absolutely. And this, this is obviously ridiculous to me now, is that this is not a game of who is the nicest uh, guy on the block. This is just a, a game of how, how much do you love yourself? How much are you willing to be authentic? How much fear do you have? And how much do you not care what others think? And it doesn't matter if it's a categorical imperative that, you know, if you're familiar with the categorical imperative, it's an interesting tool he used to show the, how something can, um, contradict itself uh, a certain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if there's some sort of contradiction, then you have to say that you shouldn't do that um, mm -hmm. by universalizing mm -hmm. it. And uh, that's why you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't yeah, 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 yeah. commit, commit mm -hmm. murder. It's a bit of like the teachings of Jesus with, the, you know, do unto your neighbor as you would like him to do unto you, but he had it a bit more refined and whole system. Mm -hmm. And like all systems, it falls apart. Um, it's a beautiful attempt, but you see the weaknesses and uh, he, yep. Yep. in his own life too, you see how he was, you know, he, had, he believed, it's funny how this is going towards Kant and I didn't expect this conversation with this direction, but he was, uh, uh, he was very much enamored with the idea of a moral sense of mm -hmm. a natural intuitive ability that people had, but he had difficulty integrating that with this, you know, rational um, construct and, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if you're too familiar with, um, with Kant and, and, and philosophy. Well, my, my, my subject as an historian has always been the historical background, of course. Right. And I had the impression that every time there comes up somebody like Kant or whoever, I would say, uh, capitalizes on moral issues, 
this happens against the backdrop of what has happened historically before that. And before that, if you look at Germany or rather Central Europe, you had the 30 years war. It's maybe the same with uh, the Renaissance, for instance, and the very chaotic times in, 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 in uh, medieval Italy with um, Machiavelli and everything that came after that. So I had the impression that this, this uh, Kantian imperative and, and uh, of course the, the huge influence that he has had um, after the 18th century was actually, I would say, some sort of reaction to everything that has been going on before that with um, you know, the political stuff or the political developments in Europe um, until Kant actually when everything that happened, and we're talking basically about the various struggles and fights and rivalries between the feuding states in Western Europe, basically, um, it was an era where, where, where ethics and morals had been so subdued and so buried under, under power politics, actually, that I think it was simply the pendulum swinging back. Definitely. I mean, this is, uh, everything is connected, of course, through waves of thought and yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, obviously the he was a lot of these thinkers were at the forefront of their time as well but obviously in retrospect we see the error of their ways but they were never completely wrong i think they were throughout history the secret the idea of the secret plato talk it talks about things that are you know the cave allegory you can tell that they had ideas about forms and how to express the formless and uh, the energy of, of life and mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. so it's beautiful to look back at the historical points and see that yeah okay we've always been talking about this it's just now we're well let's move into the next phase which is it's the teachings of Joshua based upon I wouldn't say base but in the tradition of Seth Abraham yeah. and uh, other channels uh, which are bringing how do I say, thought to another level that isn't uh, not necessarily what I would call, it's not normal human thought. It's, it's from a perspective that humans have to kind of have faith in because in, in the drudgery of life, you're distracted by a lot of illusions. And, Absolutely. Uh, but behind these illusions are, seem to be entities that have a perspective of not being uh, drowned underneath the water. They, they can kind of see us uh, from that and they're helping us and guiding us, but they're not jumping in with us necessarily. Uh, Absolutely. And they're, Absolutely. They're feeding us a little bit, but yeah, I was, um, yeah, let's go uh -huh, a bit more uh -huh. to that, that uh, what your thoughts about, um, like I said, on a personal level, uh, these, these ideas, Joshua and uh, these kind of thinkers, what have they done for you? Um, it's an excellent question. Of course, one thing that they do automatically is to change your perspective and still do this verity. I mean, I mentioned before that I've been sort of exposed to those perspectives throughout my life and still um, I struggle with the fact that sometimes those perspectives seem so aloof to me. And, and, and I think if you're down the spiral, to put it in the words of David Strickle, it might seem almost um, uh, cynical and sarcastic because um, uh, those entities say, well, don't take it easy or take it easy, don't take it so seriously. And then you're uh, stuck right in the middle of your personal drama, just having been divorced or your child has just died or whatever. And then they come up with something like, okay, take it easy, don't take it that seriously. That's just part of life. And what does it do for you, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I think when you're really down the spiral, when you're really feeling bad, and, and this might really seem almost sarcastic at some times. On the other hand, it really depends on the mood. And as Gary has pointed out repeatedly, of course, all of those people who are in this very small community right now are highly sensitive. And what I've noticed, particularly throughout the recent, most recent months, is that um, when you are highly sensitive and when you're up the spiral most of the time, when you're down the spiral, it's very, very intense. It's really very intense. And, and, and for me, what was very helpful was simply to know how the system works and that being down the, style, down the spiral is simply part of the process. And you should mention uh, that uh, Gary Temple Bodley is the channel of Joshua. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the one that runs the, the boot camp and once again is responsible for at least bringing us together. And yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but yeah, that's, that's absolutely true that mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that I've learned is through these teachings, of course, is uh, to embrace mm -hmm. the downs uh, absolutely. Uh, just mm -hmm. as well as the ups because they, mm -hmm. uh, they give our life that, how do you say, that desire you have to have a, a mechanism for going on, mm -hmm, doing mm -hmm, more of who you are, not staying where you think you should be safe. That's mm -hmm. why when you have a big, quick and explosive negative emotion, for me, while it doesn't happen too often, but I can recognize it very quickly, identify it, and then mm -hmm, attempt to step away from that feeling and into my natural state, which is more middle, carefree, yeah. and like you, yeah, yeah. you know, I think you're most of the time relaxed, mm -hmm. you're not cared about much about politics uh, as much as you probably used to be. It's one of the big Absolutely. things that's changed with me Absolutely. as well. Yeah, I don't yeah. worry about my health Definitely. as much, uh, or I actually never really did, uh, but it's like these things that are, for people, part of their, their thoughts. Uh, they don't, we're lucky because we realize, and that it's a choice that you, wherever your direction of your thoughts go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and you can control if you wanted to go more towards the negative or the positive. And by going towards the negative, you're not fixing the negative. That's the big exactly. paradox. Mm -hmm, the paradox mm -hmm, is you believe, mm -hmm, people believe that if they focus on the negative, that it burns it away. No, it makes the mm -hmm, fire greater. Mm -hmm, and that's why it's better to look in the other direction towards the positive, what's good in the situation, what's good in life. Mm -hmm. appreciate things and this is part of the daily practices and the, the Joshua uh, boot camp mm -hmm. uh, which has really helped me out a lot too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. me too uh, one of one of the real real I would say tangible advantages for me and when I was sort of learning this stuff was simply to be more and more aware that I am not my feelings and being down the spiral, being really feeling really like having a meltdown um, it's a wave, it comes and goes, basically. And if it comes, okay, just let it pass through, and you know that tomorrow or next week or so you will feel better once again, because it's simply part of the process. It simply happens, it's part of the game, so accept it. Yeah? And okay. I don't know what's, what was your experience, I've had meltdowns regularly, I still have them, and I have to say, looking back, um, every time I had such a meltdown, by, by, when I was thinking like, giving it all up and, and, and throwing all this rubbish out. Every time I had a meltdown, it was a, looking back now, always a big step forward because it, it, it was always connected with shedding part of my persona. And um, 
dropping the mask that I'd been wearing, dropping some sort of limiting belief, deeply held limiting belief. So it was also always a very, very, very step, a very large step um, towards um, being more authentic. So every, yes. every, every meltdown in the end was really very much to my advantage. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, you can be embraced that because it propels you quite a bit further if you have these mm -hmm. big manifestation events, um, which Joshua talks about, things that really pull your emotion in a positive or negative way. But if it's a negative, then, you know, that's, that has a lot of reward behind, a lot of potential for um, growth. And, mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it, and, and so I don't have, like once I, once I became aware, I would say, I never doubted the awareness. Once I knew, the, once I saw the truth, mm -hmm. I didn't question it. And that was very strange for me because I come from a philosophical background where you're supposed to look <laughs> at things from different perspectives, but it resonated with my heart and my soul in a way that I never mm -hmm, had mm -hmm. before. The, the ideas of Bashar, Abraham, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, not just channels, but you know, any, you know, Michael Beckworth, I think. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, there's mm -hmm. a lot of, they're not even, they're not gurus, just teachers who, who are not, you know, too afraid to stand up and mm -hmm. be authentic, you know, and, yeah, and, 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 and expose themselves and expose themselves exactly. and, and, and be visible. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It doesn't, cause it's not, how do you say my previous perspective would have been, uh, you, you, <laughs> this is bullshit. You know, these guys are, uh, being too wishy-washy uh to you know uh, too much feminine f feeling just love and everything be good and the, the tree of, yeah 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 and, it's, and, and now i embrace it myself and see oh wow they're, they're they are speaking the truth and mm -hmm. um it's it's becoming more and more obvious that even the biggest cynics and positive in a few more years will be normal that as we talked about on the streets people will uh understand that at least on some level that they they control the world through their feelings and thoughts but not mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. as much to their doing even though that's hard for people to accept i'm sure this is the direction we're going in absolutely 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 yeah. uh, you mentioned uh, politics by the way and and, and the, uh, what one of the things i found interesting and jessica has actually pointed it out to me when she was my coach, when I made the first boot camp, nice. um, that uh, asked a couple of questions during the Joshua live calls, and and most of those questions, interestingly, revolved around um, how to, uh, which which role I as an individual would play in society, in on the collective level, so to say, and um, that's also part of my background basically, because I served as a military officer for more than twelve years, oh. and as such, you're always of course connected to, to the collective society the national interest if you can call it that way in other words you do it not just for for your own purposes for individual purposes but simply for a collective entity whatever that might be may i ask how you you're saying that you came from a very spiritual background from your family what drew what drew you to the military then i mean were your parents supportive of you in that um it's part of my family tradition to some extent and i've always been very interested into this subject basically so I've always felt some connection to some sort of military environment um 
it's, it's, it was a very interesting um, experience, by the way, because as a highly sensitive person, the military is probably not the place to go. I mean, as a highly sensitive person, two place, there are three places not to go. One is an oil rig, the second is a, is a, is a coal mine, the third is a mil the military. Or a so, person. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what you do automatically is, of course, to, to, to look for some sort of niche where you say, okay, this is part of the system, but it's a niche where I can actually live quite well and, and, and capitalize on my strengths and not be exposed to my weaknesses. So that's what, what I did, your, basically. What was your highest rank? What did you achieve? A captain. And, wow, nice. It was the army? It was the army, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, because I know now you have your own security business. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does that tie in somehow? Did you learn through your military education? Um, to some background? extent, because one of the things that I teach as a trainer is, is crisis management and crisis communication. And there is there's a lot of similarities between, I would say, military procedures, staff operations on the one hand, and the civilian crisis uh, communication, crisis management procedures on the other hand. So there are similarities and things that you can use from the one sphere uh, in, in the other as well. But basically, I think it's more the, um, the management skills and the leadership skills that you learn in the military that are really extremely useful, also, mm -hmm. also in the civilian sphere. Because you're put under pressure in a way that normal people wouldn't be put mm -hmm. under pressure and, and you know that you come out okay at the other side, isn't it? That's probably a very um, nice... That's, that's one thing. And I think that the second basic advantage is that you're put in leadership positions at quite a young age. I mean, I served as a platoon commander, or a platoon leader with some... 30, 30 people in my platoon and my platoon and infantry platoon when I was 25 years old. Oh. And this is something that you simply usually do not do in the civilian sphere. When you're working in a private enterprise, then you're a specialist, an expert, or you're entry-level jobs or something like that. And once you're um, head of a department or a subdivision or something like that, you're beyond 30. So I think this is one of the basic advantages of the military that at a quite young age, you get to get a lot of, of practical experience in leadership. And this is a, this is a specific, specific. Sorry, I'm sorry to jump in because it's a very unique perspective you have because mm -hmm. we're talking about spiritualism mm -hmm. and you know, is it possible to be a spiritual person in the military? And did that add to your spiritual mm -hmm. life or did the contrast more speak to you but i'm sure when you're with your platoon your family they became probably your much like your family you were able to mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe sense certain things that i don't know that others maybe wouldn't have sensed oh that's a very broad subject and a very interesting yes. one uh, <laughs> interestingly in the military you would meet more people uh, who are interested in spiritual things than you would imagine from the outside mm -hmm. of course some of the i would say officers, NCOs for serving in, let's say, fighting company or something like that, are rather, well, coarse in their approach to life and, and maybe not so uh, spiritual in their outlook and in, and in their approach. But uh, in certain specific niches, they're very, very interesting, very colorful people that, that, you, that you meet. So it's, it's quite surprising sometimes. And I had the impression that in comparison to other officers and NCOs, my approach to leadership was definitely different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. With more empathy um, and yeah, generally different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Austrian military is not in too many international uh, theaters, uh, you're by station mostly at home in v Vienna, right? Or that basically, like yes, so it's uh, two deployments to Kosovo. Oh, Kosovo, of course, mm -hmm. that was a hot, uh, 
how was that? Did you see a lot of violence? It was actually a post-conflict scenario. Mm -hmm. So the, basically the war took place in 1999 and then KFOR led by NATO basically was deployed there a couple of months after that. And that's where the Austrian, one, one Austrian task force also deployed with them. Um, still there. So it was actually a post-conflict environment. Right in the beginning, I was there with the fifth contingent that was in 2001. And the situation was really tense at that time. And then it was actually more about um, yeah, stabilizing the situation. Also being prepared for civil unrest, which happened a couple of times later. And I was there the second time in 2004, 2005 in the intelligence branch. And it was interesting because at that time, the prime minister of Kosovo, Ramos Haradinaj, um, actually turned himself in to the international court in, in The Hague. And uh, we were prepared for that scenario, preparing for that scenario, expecting some sort of civil unrest, demonstrations, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it was also throughout our, for our I would say, yeah, active participation in managing the process and also preparing for the scenario that we managed to calm the situation down, which worked quite, quite well in the end. So it was, I would say, tense, but it, it was definitely not a, a fighting environment, something that you had, would have in, let's say, Afghanistan, Iraq or something like that. But you were still under pressure and uh, you were able to perform under this pressure. And there's a, you know, the idea of a spiritual warrior, I think, is kind of a nice concept because, you know, to fiercely hold on to your beliefs and your truth, no matter what, is a very much a kind of a soldierly perspective. And yeah. I have that sometimes where I, you know, I don't care the whole world is, would it be against me? I guess I, in some level I would, but these teachings uh, have helped me to just like realize that there's so much more going on and I don't have to worry about perspectives that are just at a, a negative lower level. They, they allow to exist and people can think of me what they will. Uh, I have, you know, enough in myself and my, my family and friends and who I am that that's okay. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I, it, it is a, you know, we want a world of peace and, and I think that part of that, but peace doesn't mean just, you know, running away and here it means standing up when you're called and you, you, you call yourself, you know, I guess. Yeah, actually that was one of the big issues, as I said before, in connection with this Joshua teachings that uh, at, at the very basic level, it's uh, extremely individualistic. It's you, you're the center of your universe, other people, other things, everything that happens is basically uh, revolving like satellites around you. So it's you and you creating your environment. And, and, and the one thing that has been bothering me for quite some time during the, the boot camp was, okay, now this is me as an individual person. Do I create everything that happens to me? What about co-creation? What about the environment I'm living in? If I happen to live in, let's say, Afghanistan, is this also my creation being caught in a situation where there's basically a civil war going on? Have I created that? Is this part of my pre-birth intentions? How, does, how do all those things together? Um, if I'm serving in the military, the deployment to some conflict in some foreign country, and uh, I don't know, I'm, I get hurt or maimed or whatever, is this part of my pre-birth intentions? How do I deal with that? And how is this connected to me as an individual? And it, it's still sometimes hard for me to understand. And, and one thing that 
I think has become clearer to me is that um, actually from the from the spiritual perspective that that diversity some would call it chaos um, or, or diversity is just a matter of, of perspective has the advantage that for instance you have now as an individual wherever you're living the chance the possibility to um, manifest many more experiences than you had 100 years ago for instance if you want to be i don't know robbed uh, beaten down, beaten up, or, or uh, caught in a violent demonstration in civil unrest, you can do that without leaving a European country. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we had to travel to some, I don't know, African country or somewhere to Central Asia to be become a victim in a terrorist attack. Now you can have that right at the doorstep. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it has turned out in, in, in recent years. Yeah, there's so a diversity a, chaos offers a much larger range of opportunities if you put it in this perspective. Definitely. I mean, we have to, of course, throw away the idea of victimhood altogether. Absolutely. That's, that's Absolutely. The, one of the first things that uh, these teachings and all channels, all they come to this perspective is that you're, you're the creator. And if you believe you're a victim, you're mm. creating a life of victimhood, but you're still creating it. So you're going to put yourself in situations and that you ask, this cannot be where I would like to be, but it's just a reflection. Uh, the way out is actually a process that is shown to you if you're open to it and it, you allow, it comes to everyone. We have all equal access mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. higher self, source, whatever you want to call it. It's definitely there. doesn't matter if you're in Afghanistan or if you're in Beverly Hills. Especially there are people in all these situations who are living magnificent, joyful lives in the poorest of countries and people, mm -hmm. of course, living what they would say are horrible lives and complete wealth. Absolutely. Uh, and this Absolutely. is something yeah. that there's no coincidence in that, that we, we're, we, ought, we know this we, and it's become just the, the idea that, as you said, did I intend this before my birth? And we set intentions, as Joshua says, but we're given the reins during our life, we have free will, and the two of us and many others have realized, you know, we have to step up and accept our own, all everything. This is all, you know, it's all responding. It's co-creation, but, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, like I'm creating with you this moment, but the you know, obviously your perspective is different than my perspective. Uh, at the same time, uh, I intend the wonderful conversation that will, you know, be joyful, and I hope the same for you. But it doesn't have to be that way. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it sounds hard. It sounds hard, but that's that's what I've learned from this, right? You too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the one of the things that it's really hard to grasp for other people who don't have this sort of understanding of these spiritual concepts. That it sounds very cynical, um, and it sounds as if you would say, "Okay, um, if you have been raped, you have created this situation." Um, of course, that's what it sounds like to outsiders who don't know the concept. And I think this is also the place where a lot of misunderstandings happen. This is a game that's uh, how do you say? It's for masters like so everyone here supposedly is ready for any situation that comes to them 
-hmm. They may not believe they're ready, but if they have a non-physical staff, they have guidance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a trusting that guidance beyond the person or the, the family who may say otherwise. That's, mm -hmm. that's where you're like, oh, but that's my mom. I have to give her more weight than my my own feelings even because yeah, yeah, yeah. she gave birth to me i owe her so much this is just a my mom saying for general people they take that as to be the an anchor point for them and, and it doesn't have to be yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. i've all, uh, also have to say that one of the things that has really kept me going is um that even in those moments when i had doubts about the spiritual things and wanted to throw it all out um i did not really have a viable alternative, frankly speaking, because the, obviously the alternative would, would have been to revert to the old control system, control approach. And I know very deeply inside of me that this is not for me and this is not working. So what else can you do than simply keep going? I mean, <laughs> if there's no alternative, what, yeah, yeah. But the on. fact that, that the two of us are talking about this and putting it out there, it doesn't matter how many people watch it, but we're showing other people you, it, there are ways we help each other just by saying, I'm, I'm also incorporating this and I, I agree 100%, you can't go back to control, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. no matter what that looks like. Mm -hmm, doesn't, mm -hmm. um, you can try, but uh, you won't have, by necessity, you won't mm -hmm. create what you desire. It just can't be. Absolutely, and you will find out that you will have a burnout very soon when you even try to sort of go back to this control approach. It simply doesn't work. I mean, I've, 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 I've had the feeling that every fiber of my body says, no, no, don't do it. it it's not going to work out. It's simply like you get let go of all the energy and, and, and uh, have the next meltdown. So it, it simply doesn't work. It's not really an alternative. Absolutely. This is uh, maybe a good point to maybe uh, bring up uh, something that you're, you're, you do your own podcast as well. You started mm -hmm. uh, just before I started mine and uh, maybe you can tell people what, what your inspiration was and how they can find you. Yeah, the, the, the podcast is called Flow, das Gesetz der Anziehung, which means the law of attraction actually in German. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We have now the podcast on Anchor FM and I'm still working on the distribution to other platforms as well. So let's see how this is going to work out. Basically, the inspiration was to make this Joshua stuff available to people like, well, my mother, for instance, who speaks some English, but simply not good enough because uh, in her generation, it was not um, as usual as it is nowadays to learn English in grammar school and things like that. So I think there's a lot of people out there who might be interested in this sort of stuff who don't speak English that well. So what we thought basically was simply to take this take this, uh, this content, take these issues and put them out there in a way, in a language that is easily digestible to a larger audience. That was basically the idea. And also, of course, to have the exchange with other students um, who have um, been part of this Joshua Bootcamp, who have their own background, their own experiences, their own approach, their own perspective, and simply to, to use this also as a means of self-reflection, of course, because this bootcamp is, even though you have your coach, of course, and you're in constant contact with your coach, it's simply a, part, a, a process where you do a lot of the work yourself. I mean, you fill out the forms and you do this, this meditations, et cetera, et cetera. So it's something that you do to 90, 80% or so on your own. 
And I think it's also very important besides Joshua Life calls and, and the, the coaching calls, simply to have somebody else where you have this exchange and reflection, talk about various issues. And it's, it's also interesting, also very interesting every time talking to you, talking to Jessica, simply to bring up a couple of issues where I think, well, I've thought about this issue, I've asked Joshua during the live calls and still, still I'm not yet clear about that and what do you think about that, what's your perspective, what's your opinion on that. So I think it's, 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 it's also very good to have this sort of exchange and, and joint reflection on the teachings as well. That's awesome. It's uh, obviously in German um, and so for the German speaking audience, uh, more relevant. Uh, the, the Joshua Roundtable, as you, uh, it's something where they also speak about Gary uh, mm -hmm. and others, their experiences, and that's also a magnificent uh, platform. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely put the link to your um, podcast, which I've been on and enjoyed uh, below. And I'll put down below also the link to um, the Joshua Bootcamp, mm -hmm. Joshua Teachings, and hopefully, you know, a few people maybe just take a look at it and floats their boat. Great, if not, it's also great. Absolutely. So good. Absolutely. And I guess, Helmut, I guess our time is running a bit short and uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's went in a direction I didn't expect. Me too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's very interesting. It's always wonderful. I feel like we're always guided from non-physical. So if I come with a plan, I'm doing it, I can throw it away because there's too much inspiration <laughs> in the moment when, you know, you're talking to a lot, someone, you know, we're very on the same vibration in many ways. And that's, uh, and I, I wish you the best of luck. Um, in your Same to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're very welcome. And I, of course, would like to have you sometime soon and back on the podcast. We'll Absolutely. Check up on things. Well, Emma. Perfect. Have okay. a wonderful evening. Bye bye. Same bye. to you. Same to you. Thanks. And have a wonderful new year 2020. You too. 2020 is going to be a big one. Absolutely. Absolutely.